All right. Who's excited to be here? Yes. So just uh, slightly off-topic news. We opened SuperKids registrations four days ago. We already have 117 kids registered, between 80 and 99 per day so far. So if you want to book your kids in, get them in. Some of your kids are already in there, I see that. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty excited about this uh, series. Uh, I don't know how long ago it was, but a few months ago I, I wrote an email to Tom and I was like, I'm just writing it in an email form so you know that it's not, you know, I don't need your answer immediately. But I just really felt like uh, preaching, I just really felt like we needed to sort of really hone in on an encounter with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit, really. And, and it was really cool because as Tom just said before, you know, we're listening to the same Holy Spirit, and he was like, oh, I'm thinking the same thing, I'm thinking, you know, and so we had this kind of, this conversation around it, and so uh, when, the, when the, Tom asked for preaching dates, I'm like, I definitely want to preach one of those, because I just, uh, I'm just so, um, all week I've just had this kind of almost emotional stirring in me, like we just, we can know so much about God, but until we encounter him, that's that's when we're changed, until we encounter the living God. You know, we can, we can teach our children over and over again, but they need to encounter the Lord for it really to last. You know, when we talk about that statistic of 70, 75%, I'm totally not on my notes. When we talk about the statistic of 75% of kids who grow up in our churches that don't go on to follow Jesus, I believe that's because a large percentage of that 75%, they never encountered God, they just heard all about him, and they saw other people doing stuff for God, worshipping God, but they never encountered him for themselves. Anyway, that's slightly off topic. <laughs> well, it's, it is and it isn't. John 14, verse 26, which is where the name of the series has come from. But the Father sends an advocate, my representative, that is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. Another um, version of the Bible says the helper, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, who my Father has will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. I don't know about you, but I am constantly aware of my need for divine help, <laughs> for divine intervention in my life, for a pretty much like, God, unless you help me, I can't do this. Like, unless you like really come and, and show up, um, I, I, I just can't do it all, you know? I can't do it. Uh, there's a slide going around uh, last Sunday being Pentecost, and I just was really, as soon as I saw it, I was like quite impacted by it. It's this next slide. Christmas was God with us. Easter was God for us. Pentecost is God in us. You know, like, like I just said before, like we can, we can say all the right things, we can read our Bibles, but unless... We, we encounter God unless God is in us, unless the Holy Spirit is living through what we're doing. We don't really have anything. We just have a head full of knowledge. If you, uh, if you didn't grow up in the church in the 90s, you can just, just tune out for a moment. But if you grew up in the, in the church in the 90s, I'm not sure about here because I obviously wasn't here, but um, sometimes the mention of the Holy Spirit can be a little bit of emotive. Like it can have a it can have a it, it can have a feeling of um, that was a time that I wasn't quite sure what was going on. You know, uh, the Holy Spirit. There was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the church in that time that many had not seen or experienced for themselves. 
Um, and I, I don't know if it's because I was a teenager, but I was a teenager. And as a teenager, I probably processed it slightly differently. <laughs> but uh, as a teenager, you know, there was a little bit of time of uncertainty. It's like, you know, if everyone goes up to Older Call and, and those people are really touched by the Holy Spirit and it's really visible and they can see it and I'm not, what does that mean about me? And, you know, that kind of, you know, teenagers, no disrespect to teenagers in the room, but teenagers often think a lot about themselves. <laughs> and that's probably, so that probably uh, tinted by that. But, but the reality is when we, when we look at it like that and we, if we've continued to frame that outpouring of the Holy Spirit like that, we, we are framing that outpouring of the Holy Spirit not as a touch from a, the living God but just as an experience, just as something that happened but not as an encounter with a person because the Holy Spirit is God. I was just reminded of the little object lesson you do in kids' church when you teach about the Holy Spirit. So for all of you who don't know much about the Holy Spirit, I'm going to teach it to you, and I wish I had remembered, thought of it, to bring an egg. But anyway, the Holy Spirit is God, and the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not just some uh, experience or some... And, you know, in, in kids' church, you do it like an, an object lesson with an egg, you know. If you break up an egg, an egg is a shell, a yolk, and a white. It's still an egg, though. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is still an egg. No, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is not an egg. <laughs> The yellow, the white, and the shell are one. Are still an egg. If you see a yolk, you don't think that's not an egg. If you see the white, you don't think that's not an egg. If you see the shell, you don't think that's not an egg. It's like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is part of God. The Holy Spirit is not. Um, often, as Christians, we can have a misconception that the Holy Spirit is impersonal, just a power or a force or an experience, but the Holy Spirit is part of God. The Holy Spirit is God, just to clarify that. Very quiet. I know I say that every time. I'm used to children, and you know, you know it's time to end the preaching when they start fidgeting and talking. So, you know, if you think it's time to end, start doing that, and I'll get the message, <laughs> or not. <laughs> the huge problem with not seeing the Holy Spirit as a person is that we boil our interactions down yes. to an experience, to a feeling, and uh, we leave. Uh, if we leave the Holy Spirit out of our relationship with God, it's almost like trying to drive a car without the engine or being in a marriage but leaving out a great, huge part of your spouse's personality and just ignoring that part of them. Acts 2, verse 1 to 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like a roaring a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them, and everyone who was present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. Often we shy away from the things of the Holy Spirit because we don't understand. We're not quite entirely sure what might happen. If I go to that old call, I don't know what will happen and I don't know what to expect. What if... What if the disciples, you know, you've got to put yourself in the position that, that Jesus had died. I mean, he gave them fair warning, right? But I still think the devastation was real. Jesus had died and they didn't know really what was going to happen yet. He said I needed to go so you could have the help. But they didn't really know what to do. And what if the disciples had said, actually, I'm not going to go to the upper room because I don't know what to expect. I don't know what's going to happen. Jesus is gone. I just need to, I just need to process that for a while. 
before I can move on, and I'm just not going to go to the upper room. What would have happened? What would they have missed if they had thought, I'm not going to go there because I don't know what to expect. I don't understand what's going to happen. I don't understand how it can be better that Jesus is not here. I don't understand, so I'm not going to enter in. And that's kind of what we do when we sit in a, in a church service and we feel the Holy Spirit touch us and we feel, that we feel a nudge to like, you need to, you need to respond to this message. And when we stay sitting in our seat, we rob ourselves of that encounter with God because sometimes, I'm not saying that God can't touch you in a seat because he absolutely can, but sometimes he needs to know what we want. Sometimes he needs us to do a physical, actually, I'm going I'm to go after that. You know, like the disciples had to go to the upper room to experience that. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was not just for the apostles, and the Bible has made that very, very clear. I preached a message in the past entitled, One Moment. A moment in the presence of God changes everything. That moment with God changes everything. It's an encounter with God. It's not just an experience. It's an encounter with a living God. Do we just experience the Holy Spirit or do we encounter the Holy Spirit? I looked up the dictionary definition of these words. Experience. A process of living through an event or events, something that someone has actually done or lived through. So that is an experience. So, you know, you, you can have an experience. You might have had an experience flying a plane. You can have an experience bungee jumping. You, you might have had an experience, whatever, doing something. But encounter is to come face to face. An experience is just something you've done, something you've lived through. But encounter is to come face to face, to really interact. And I don't know about you, but when it goes experience versus encounter, I know what I want to choose. It's not an encounter for encounter's sake. It's more than a moment. It's more about simply the experience. It's for eternity. What you you can gain, what God can do in your life in in an encounter with the Holy Spirit can change everything. Can change everything for all of eternity. We're talking in kids' church about the gifts of the Spirit and it's called Make Ways, you know, and, and, and as, as we allow the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, our life, because of God in us, makes waves. It might not change the entire world, but it definitely changes the world around us with waves, ripples that go out and impact people because of God. Uh, recently, my, uh, Campbell and I, we, we went away for a weekend to Wellington, you know, he'd finished a big long amount of study and he had to do a course over there for the last two weeks just to finish that off. And I said to him about two and a half years ago when it was gnarly, because, you know, working full-time, studying nearly full-time and raising four children was <laughs> gnarly. That's a good word for it. Uh, and I said to him, I know what we should do when we finish it. We should, I should meet you over there when you finish and we should have a weekend in Wellington. He was like, yeah, that's an awesome idea. So we did that. So he'd been away for two weeks. I met him, I met him at Wellington Airport and um, we had the most amazing weekend. We just had this, it was just amazing. Everything about it was fantastic. We just, it was amazing. And I just, um, <laughs> the reason I'm talking about that is because an encounter with God 
is something that we should be doing daily, right? We, we, we talk to them, and, but it's kind of like in your marriage. You, see, you might see the person daily, but sometimes you've got to take this time to really find them again. That's what I said to Cam when we were away. I said, I feel like we found each other again. And I mean, it's not like we were lost. We were <laughs> living life with our children in chaos. But, uh, you know, and that's what God wants with us. I, um, I had a dream about last year sometime, and I knew it was a dream from God, but I didn't really know what I was supposed to do with it, so it's just been hanging around, and I just really felt to share it in this message. I had this dream, and we were in this church, and uh, I don't know if I'd preach, but there was a message, and it was an altar call, and a lady came up to the altar call, and she had a bandaged hand, <clears throat> and um, I felt led to pray for this lady, so I was praying for her, and I felt led to pray for healing for her hand, so I started praying for her hand. And then I sort of felt like God was telling me to unband, like she had a bandage around, so to unbandage her hand. And when I sort of asked her if she could do that, she sort of pulled it away and like wouldn't, wouldn't let that happen. And, um, and then I woke up and I just really, um, she, I think what she said was something like, it's a, it's a while ago, but she said something like, I just want the pain to go away. And to me, I just was at this moment with God when I woke up and I knew this was a, pre- a dream from God. And I was like, what, is, what does this mean? And I knew it was, it was like um, we come to God and we want certain things. I don't know. Maybe it's a car park. <laughs> maybe it's just for everything to go well, for the sun to shine, for us to have a good day tomorrow. Or, or maybe there's more important things, you know, to get into a course or to, I don't know. But we come to God and we pray And we want just that little bit. We just want the pain to go away. We just want things to run smoothly. Maybe maybe she was like that because she felt unworthy of healing. Maybe she was afraid of what the power of healing would mean or do, would be like. Maybe she was afraid of of if God was going to do something so significant in her life, what that would require of her. But we, we tend to come to God sometimes like he's a vending machine. And we list our requests out, but we don't fully lay it out for full healing, for full restoration, for full encounter, and full abandonment to the Holy Spirit, to what he wants in our lives. And that's what I felt it was like with the hand. She was holding, she was like, I want a little bit of a touch from God. I want the pain to go away, but I don't, I don't, I don't know what that will mean to fully be surrendered to God, to have full abandonment to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit. And I just felt like that was for somebody today, that that was a, a direct message for someone today that actually, yes, you're here at church. Yes, you love the Lord. Yes, you talk to him during the week. You might read your Bible. But sometimes you're just too scared to take the next step, the step into full surrender, the step into full abandonment to the Holy Spirit, to go and do and be for him to do, go and be and do anything that he wants to do in your life. What would it be like to open up to full, in full abandonment to the Lord, to encounter God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I know it seems simplistic, but Jesus changes everything. Yes, he does. The Holy Spirit, an encounter with the Holy Spirit, changes everything. It might not change all the world when going on around in your physical life, but it changes everything in you to 
walk forward into those things? How can it not? Let's think about that, really. How can it not? It's God. You know, sometimes we don't, we don't want to uh, sort of go into, maybe go to an altar call or really because we don't know what's going to happen, but why do we expect to? It's God. I mean, you know? You know what he did, right? He, like, spoke and created the world. And, like, it's, it's God. And sometimes we're like, oh, but I'm just not sure what's going to happen. Of course we're not sure. Of course we don't know. Like, we've got these little human brains. Of course we don't know. But do we trust him? Do we love him? Does, he, does the word of God say he's got good things for us? So when I was at Heart and Soul last week, I heard God say really clearly, the curtain was torn. The curtain was torn. In Luke 23, verse 44 to 46, by the time it was noon and darkness fell across the land until three o'clock, the light from the sun was gone. This is when Jesus was being crucified, in case you didn't know. And then suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle from the top to the bottom Oh, actually, it doesn't say that in the scripture, but it does say it in the next verse. Uh, was torn down the middle, and Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last breath. Uh, again, it's talked about in Matthew, which I don't think I've got it up on the screen, but Matthew 27, 51 says, At that moment, the curtain of the sanctuary was in the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And it's referenced again in Mark 15. The holy temple was the center of Jewish religious life. It was centered around everything they do. In Exodus 30, verse 10, it says, Once a year, Abraham, uh, Adam, Aaron, sorry, once a year, Aaron must, be, must purify the altar by smearing the horns with the blood of the offering made to purify the people from their sin. This was a regular and annual event from generation to generation for the Lord's most holy altar. Leviticus 16, God talked to Moses about how to make an offering of atonement for all of Israel. So if you don't know, uh, in the Old Testament, there was, there was a temple, there was the Holy Holies, and there was a veil, a curtain that separated them. And once a year, the priest went in and gave it uh, an offering for the atonement of everybody's sins. And you know what happened? When Jesus died is the curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. This is a long scripture that I'm going to read out. Hopefully it's going to go smoothly because I don't love reading. But um, it's an important part of what we're talking about today. Hebrews 9 verse 1 to 11. That first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. There were two rooms in that tabernacle, in the first room, there was a lampstand, a table, sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain, and behind that curtain was a second room called the most holy place. In that room, there was golden incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered in gold on all sides. Inside the Ark was a jar of, was a gold jar containing manna. Aaron's staff had sprouted leaves, and it was the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cher cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretched out over the ark's covering the place of atonement. But we cannot explain these things in details now. When these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room 
and they performed religious duties, but only the high priest could enter the most holy place and only once a year, and he always offered blood for his own sins and the sins of the people committed in ignorance. But these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance of the most holy was not freely open as the tabernacle and the systems it represented were still in use. This is an illustration pointing to the present time for the gifts and the sacrifice the priests offer were not able to cleanse the consciousness of the people or bring or who of the people who bring them. For the old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. This is the most important bit. So Christ is now become the high priest over all good things that might, that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven which was not made by human hands and not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured redemption forever. Jesus. Jesus died. He entered the most holy place. His blood was a sacrifice, his atonement for our sins forever. And you know what? This veil, I did some research on the veil. It was a little boring, if I'm honest. But I did a little bit of research. I'm going to share just a, just a little bit of it. The veil, it says, was 40 cubits long, which we're not entirely certain what a cubit was, but historians believe it's about 60 feet high, which is about 18 metres, which is five to six storeys, which is three female giraffes tall or four male giraffes tall. <laughs> Full fact for you. I had to make it exciting. It wasn't like a thin neck curtain that just happened to get ripped when earthquakes and the darkness came. It was a mean-ass curtain. <laughs> the Bible even talks about it in 2 Chronicles 3 verse 14. He made the curtain blue, purple, of red thread, expensive linen, and he put designs with creatures of wings in it. I even read an article. I shared this on the preacher's page. And Tom, when I saw Tom, he's like, what the heck? I even read an article that talked about how many thousands of murex snails it took to get 1.4 grams of the dye colour needed for the veil for the purple. And that was 12,000, by the way. 12,000 snails to get the colour of dye for 1.4 grams of the colour of dye that was in the curtain. The curtain was important. The curtain was significant. The curtain was holy. And when Jesus died, the curtain was ripped and it separ that curtain separated man from God and the curtain is gone and yes. we are no longer separated. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hebrews 6 verse 19 to 20. This hope is strong, the trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain to God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone there for us. He has become the eternal high priest in the order of Michael. Melchizedek. Now I know someone preached about that. Was, was it you? Yeah, I knew it was. So I won't go into it. I did, I did read up of it. But. Hebrews 10, verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened now a life-giving way for the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us Go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood and made us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Jesus' death is sufficient atonement for our sin. We're no longer separated. 
we are no longer separated. There was a holy and holies and only the most high priest who was always a Jew. That's right, isn't it? He was always a Jew. He was always a man. And he could only go there once a year. The curtain was torn so that no matter your sex, no matter your race, no matter your age, no matter what, all mankind could come to the Lord. All mankind. And I'm glad you clapped because the next line written down is, this is ridiculously exciting. That was just in case you didn't actually express that it's ridiculously exciting. I even had to say to Cam last night, how do you spell ridiculously? Because <laughs> spell check was giving me nothing. That's how well I can spell. God moved out of the one only place of the, to no longer dwell in a temple, only dwell in a temple made with human hands and only for the elite. Acts 17, verse 24, <clears throat> he's a God who made the world and everything in it. Since he's the Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in man-made temples. The veil between God and humanity was gone, is still gone. Yes, yes. Jesus said it was better. Jesus said, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I, do not go, if I do go away, then I will send him to you. Man was separated by sin. From God by sin, we were cut off. But that separation between God and humanity was done when Jesus died on the cross. Pentecost was not an entirely new event. I mean, it was but the Holy Spirit hovering the earth was not an entirely new event, as Tom has mentioned. <laughs> Genesis 1 verse 2, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the deep waters, but the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. The Holy Spirit has always been there, and, and the Holy Spirit touched certain people in the, in, in the Old Testament. So special people, people that we read, read about in the Bible. Samson, in uh, Judges 6, Gideon, the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. Judges 15, but the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson. In Exodus 35, Moses told the people of Israel, the Lord has filled, filled, I even Google how to say this, the Lord has filled Bezal, Bezal, Bezalel, with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom and ability and expertise of all kinds of crafts. In 1 Samuel 16, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David on that day. Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit, but Pentecost means God in us, in all of us. No longer was it just for Jewish men, very special Jewish men. No longer was it for only priests. No longer was the Holy Spirit uh, held back in Acts 2, after the Holy Spirit comes, Peter then preaches that this is a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. He preaches with boldness. That's what the Holy Spirit did. Gave him boldness to come out and preach. And he said it was a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. Joel 2, verse 28 to 32. And then after all these things, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike, and I will cause wonders of the heaven and the earth, blood and fire, columns of smoke, the sun will become dark, the moon will be red as blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord arise, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I read a quote this week, the divine visitation of the Holy Spirit changed everything. It still does. Fire fell on the followers of Jesus in the upstairs rented room, incinerated fear, their doubt, their self-pity, and created a backdraft that would fire them on to an adventure that would be even eclipse the years they spent with Jesus. Jesus himself said to his followers that they would do greater things. When Jesus died, they never thought they would see anything great again, probably. But the days after that followed because of the Holy Spirit in them were greater than the days before. And they could never have imagined it. So when we're walking through something hard and we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, he is going to turn that thing into good. He is going to make it better. And the days ahead are going to be better because of the Holy Spirit in you. We can't imagine it when we're walking through something hard. But if we will abandon ourselves to God and we will encounter the Holy Spirit, he will change everything. John Wesley said about the movement he started, I'm not afraid that people will stop. I'm not afraid that people called Methodists will ever cease to exist, but I'm afraid they will only exist in a dead organization, having a form of religion without power. Jesus does not want the church to be a form of religion without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the church functioning in the way that God wants the church to function, without change coming, without us being filled with his presence, without us going out and changing our world because of him, not because of us, because of him. Galatians 5, it talks about the fruits of the Spirit. I'm running out of time to so I'm not going to read the whole verse, but at the end of it, it says, since we have the living... Let me work out what I want to read. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. I was talking to someone last week who was talking about the church and what the church is doing for young people and what, how, what, are, we, what are we actually doing when we run youth groups, when we run kids' church? What are we actually doing? And he said this quote, he said, I've heard this quote, the generations, one generation's revelation is the next generation's religion. And you can go, mm, yeah, it's probably true. But can I, have, can I say that it's only true if we never have our young people encounter God? If we only ever talk about God, but if we never have them encounter God. You know what? If your children, if our children in our church, may not be your biological children, but our children in our church don't meet a living God, they will not follow him all the days of their lives. Being a Christian is about encountering God daily, over and over again, and then sometimes in an amazing and different way. Because just because we encountered God yesterday doesn't mean it's the same thing he's got for us today. He's got something new every day. That is what's beginning to happen in our Oxygen Connect groups with our young people. It's so exciting. We have this, we have this leaders chat, and after um, every Friday night, we just chat 
about what's happened. Now, this is what happened to my group. This is what happened. This is what one kid said, as you know. And it's beginning to happen. I want to tell you it's beginning to happen. And we as a church carry a responsibility to pray for that, to support it, to send our kids to it. Now, just because they're going to go to you through it doesn't necessarily mean... There's a saying I held on to for a long time. A few years ago, a man who was preaching said that he had teenagers now and he was deliberately home more in the evening because his teenagers were home. That's when he got to see his teenagers. And he said, now let me be clear, just because I'm home does not guarantee a meaningful account with your teenager. But not being home guarantees not having one. It's the same with your young person or your child to do with kids' church, youth group. Them not being there guarantees they're not going to have an encounter. Them coming doesn't guarantee an encounter, but them not coming, I did not plan to say that. The curtain was torn for a purpose, for a reason. I still want to make these back, please. <laughs> the curtain was torn. It's not a minor incident, it's significant, and it means God no longer wanted to be separated from you. God no longer wanted there to be anything in the way. He wanted us to come. And what we're going to do now is we're going to sing. I'm going to pray. And we're literally going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. We're just going to say, come Holy Spirit. I just want to encourage you to say, come Holy Spirit. Into every part of my being, into every part of my life that we would come and we would know him, that we would worship him, that we would lift his name, that we would not hold anything back, that we would not hold anything sacred that we can't give to God, that we can't trust him with. Jesus made a way for the broken, for the imperfect, for the sinners. No matter your race, your sex, your age, God made a way. Jesus made a way for you to encounter the Holy Spirit without limit, without holding anything back, without any barriers. The only barriers to you and God are probably in your mind. Surrender that to God. Give your mind to the Holy Spirit. Give your fears over to the Holy Spirit and ask Him to encounter you today. Ask for an encounter today. Maybe in your seat, maybe up the front. Ask God for an encounter with him today. And then tomorrow, and then the next day, and the next day. We're only changed. We're only made whole. We can only survive this life with the Holy Spirit in us. Pentecost is about God in us. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm just going to invite whoever wants to come and encounter the Holy Spirit to come forward. And I encourage you, if you're apprehensive, just do it anyway. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you made a way. God, I want to thank you that the veil was torn. That the day that Jesus hung on the cross and he surrendered his last breath, things happened. It went dark, things happened, but the curtain was torn. No longer were we separated from you. No longer was that for the elite, but it was for everyone. And Lord, right now I pray for every single person in this room, Lord, that we would come to you. Lord, that we would come to you in full abandonment, fully surrendered, fully open to everything you want to do in our lives. 
Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and touch lives today. Young and old, Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come. 